You're listening to media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center in Tallahassee, Florida. We are a Jesus-centered community of Scripture, faith, and grace located on the campus of Florida State University. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three-in-One, who comes in order to give us our baptisms, which form us and cause us to abide in His Word. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever taken a placebo? That's where we're starting off today, and it's kind of an interesting question. You know, have you ever taken a placebo? Some of us would say, well, I don't know, because if it was a placebo, maybe somebody just slipped that in for me. And maybe you don't know what a placebo is. You probably do. But I'm going to define it anyway. So a placebo is something that uh, claims to have some inherent property that it, well, doesn't actually have, or it only has a little bit of that property that it actually has. Uh, A good way to think about placebos is probably your morning cup of coffee, or if you know somebody who has said something like, I don't talk to anyone before I have my morning cup of coffee, because before my morning cup of coffee, I am a total jerk. And so I'm, I'm just going to keep people safe, and I'm, I'm not going to talk to anybody before I have that. Well, well, the reality is that the caffeine in your morning cup of coffee is probably not enough to change or alter your behavior in some way, shape, or form. What you're talking about when you say, I don't talk to anybody before I have my morning cup of coffee, is much more that you're talking about this belief that you have about the coffee. You're, you're saying, I believe that this coffee will make me a nice person. And because you believe it, it happens. And and you blame coffee for all of the great things in your life. Uh, And uh, you blame the lack of coffee on all of those evil things that you've said to people and all of that nasty stuff that you've put on Twitter. And so you've got this kind of issue with placebos. And all of us, you know, get into placebos at at some point point in time. All of us have these placebos in our lives where, where, you know, we believe these things actually sort of change us. We believe that these things do good things for us. In, in fact, uh, there have been medical studies that have said that if you believe that a Tylenol is going to help your headache, it works much better than if you don't believe that that Tylenol is going to help your headache. And so you're better off whenever you take that Tylenol pill, which does, in fact, have some pain-relieving qualities to it. You are much better off believing that that's going to help your headache because if so, your body actually shifts around that belief. Your body actually embraces that. And it's maybe sort of a little bit disconcerting for us to think about the fact that our belief can change our experience of the world. Maybe it's a little bit disconcerting because we like to think in some ways that that there are these sort of magical cures out there that we can engage with that have nothing to do with what we believe. We like to think that if I have my morning cup of coffee, I become a nice person. We like to think that if I simply take a pill that I will become this 
But sometimes our belief is much more a part of that than what we would initially gather. Now, there's certainly the case of placebos that have uh, actually nothing to do with what they're supposed to do. Uh, colloidal silver is a great example of this. Uh, you, you can look on Amazon and, and you can find um, colloidal silver still being sold on, on Amazon. It was made uh, famous by Jim Baker, uh, the, the, um, the televangelist who uh, fell into ill repute. It was made famous by him. And, and uh, the claims were that colloidal silver would kill some germs in you and that because it would kill some germs in you, that then it was a good thing for you to take into your body. The problem is it killed the germs and it also kind of kills you. Uh, it, it makes you sick. It turns your skin blue if you have enough of it. And so there are some things in our lives that no matter how much we believe in them, they're actually bad for us. And, and the, there's sort of that sense of, you know, the placebo gone wrong in that sense where there's too much of a belief in something that maybe we shouldn't be believing in in the first place. Uh, another example of that is rhino horn. Uh, they, approximately uh, about 5% of all rhinoceroses in Africa are, are killed off every year by poachers who leave the rest of the rhinoceros there but take their horn because uh, they cut off the horn and then they sell that on the black market and uh, there are beliefs uh, in, in the rhino horn being a placebo in that if you crush it up that you know, it'll cure cancer or it, it'll lower your blood pressure and do all sorts of amazing magical things. And, and so we, we recognize that our belief while it may be helpful for us sometimes, that our belief also, if we start to believe in something that is not good, that our belief can be detrimental to not only ourselves, but to the world around us. Well, setting up all of that discussion about placebo, we come into this set of readings. We come into this set of readings where we have, especially in 1 John, we, we have this immediate signal to the idea that we have to be careful. First John launches into chapter 4 here by saying, brothers, test the spirits. Because we don't know. The, the spirit that you may be, be believing in is antichrist. The, the spirit that you may be believing in is something that is so different from Jesus that it is anti-Jesus, that it is something so different from what it means to be a Christian that it is the reverse of being a Christian. That's what anti means. And so you start wondering, okay, well, what is this thing? Well, many of the people that John is writing to in his, his letters here, are dealing with this heresy that, ha that is calling itself Christian, but uh, we would today call it Gnosticism. A and Gnosticism is, is this religion that's all about, well, 
sort of secret knowledge. That's what Gnostic means. Gnosis is the word for knowledge. And the idea here is that you would get secret knowledge that was passed down from generation to generation, maybe from Jesus to his disciples and then to you and however that works out. But the issue there is that Gnosticism is always about you. Because if this is secret knowledge, it's about you. Because you get the secret knowledge, you're able to work in the world, but you're keeping it a secret. And so that means, well, this is about me. This is about me being loved by God. This is about me having special powers. This is about me being saved. But this is not about other people. To which John says, that's backwards. That's the reverse of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is is not somebody who gives you secret knowledge so that you can keep it to yourself. Who Jesus is is that Jesus is the one who gives you public knowledge so that you can distribute it to other people and that they then also can share in the love. And we see that playing out then in the story of Philip and the eunuch. Philip and the eunuch, this eunuch guy who is in Jerusalem seemingly at an odd time. It seems like he's coming home from being at the Passover celebration. It seems like he's coming home from being in Jerusalem at a time when he is engaging in the religious traditions of Jerusalem. And most likely he is, because he's reading a scroll from Isaiah the prophet, a scroll that would have been muy, muy expensivo. I mean, this was a super duper big investment for somebody to make. And so we understand a few things about this eunuch. We understand that he wants to be Jewish. We understand that he wants to be Jewish so much that he's willing to buy a Rolls Royce worth of a scroll in order to read it, and yet he doesn't quite understand what's going on in the scroll, but he still wants it so badly that he's willing to seek out that knowledge. But the problem is, most likely, that the eunuch is turned away from the temple because the eunuch is a eunuch, and uh, there are laws about where eunuchs can go in the temple. And so he's been turned away from the thing that he wants so much. And to that, the Holy Spirit sends Philip. Sends Philip with some secret knowledge. It's not a secret at all. It's very public knowledge. And, and so Philip goes up to this guy and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the eunuch says, how can I if nobody guides me? Come on up into the chariot and let's talk about Isaiah. And sure enough, they get, they get together and they start talking and Philip starts to show, okay, this is what it means to know this guy, Jesus, who is the fulfillment of this scripture, who is the fulfillment of Isaiah. And this is what it is like to know this very public knowledge about a savior who empowers his entire church. And from that, the Ethiopian looks and he asks a testing question. 
He asks this testing question of, uh, of Philip. He says, here's water. What's to keep me from being baptized? And the thing is that, that the Ethiopian knows what is to keep him from being baptized because the thing that is to keep him from being baptized in this section of Scripture with Philip there is the th- same thing that keeps him from being baptized while he's in Jerusalem. A normal Jewish person would have, if they were converting to Judaism, they would have gone through a ritual baptism that would have been like them going across the Jordan River, and they would have become in that moment Hebrews, which is a word that means the crossed over ones. And so you would have gone through a baptism. And he has most likely been denied that because he's a eunuch. And so that brings a little bit more color to the fact that he asks Philip, What's to keep me from being baptized? Because the real answer there that the eunuch knows is what is to keep him from being baptized is Philip. Philip can keep him from being baptized. Philip can say, you know what? It's nice that you bought this scroll. It's cool that you are uh, this, this really important person in, in the, uh, the court of Candace the queen, but mm, no, this is just for me. This is just for me and people like me. And if that were how Philip would have responded, it would have been Gnosticism. It would have been a secret thing that's just for me. But Christianity is not that. Christianity is this thing that is for anyone. Christianity is this thing where what it is all about is not who you are before you're baptized, but about that you are baptized. It's about that you are connected to the vine, that you are connected to Christ, and that's what we get in our baptisms. Not a Gnostic placebo that says, well, this is all about me, but rather a real life-changing experience that connects you with Jesus in water and word that connects you with God in a way that brings you closer to Christ so that you can not only experience that good news for yourself, but you can begin to show the love of God to the neighbors and the people around you. Because that's what real Christianity looks like. Placebo Christianity can look like a whole bunch of other things. But you know you've got the real thing when you've got love. That's what John is telling the churches around him when he's writing to them. That you know that you get the real thing you know that you've gotten the real thing. When you start to feel this weird sensation inside of you where you go, 
I kind of love people. I don't want this to just be about me. This is about me. But I don't want it to just be about me. This is something that I can share with the world. And then we go through our lives. And we find those moments where we meet our own versions of the Ethiopian eunuch, where we meet our own versions of the people in Azotus and the people in Caesarea. And we go through our lives and we simply allow the love of God to work in and through our baptisms, not because we're such loving people, but because God loved us and gave us his son. And so may you go out into this week recognizing where placebos exist. But may you also recognize where the real thing is. And that real thing is found in your baptism, which creates in you a love for others. Amen.